Hey there, welcome to I Love You Man, the podcast that's all about fostering positive psychology and well-being in men. I'm your host, Stephen Feeney, and I'm thrilled to embark on this journey with you. In a world where conversations about mental health are becoming increasingly important, this podcast aims to create a safe space where we can openly explore, discuss, and celebrate the various aspects of male well-being. I Love You Man is a project that aims to promote positive masculinity, and I believe that this can only be borne out by shedding a light on the unique challenges men face when it comes to their mental well-being. Pressures related to work, income, isolation, relationships and physical health are afflicting men across the world today. But here's the thing, it's okay not to have it all figured out. Let's open the door and get the conversation started. Over each episode, I'm going to introduce you to some positive psychology strategies which I believe can motivate, cultivate and help you appreciate the inherent gifts within each of you. I'm a true believer that positive masculinity can make the world a better place and that there is no better place to start than here with you, my friend. We're going to be joined by inspiring guests from a variety of different backgrounds and discuss the role well-being plays in their lives. From music to meditations and running to relationships, we will deep dive into the different realms of life that can be positively affected by small changes. Let's embrace vulnerability and build a community that promotes positivity one episode at a time. Whatever you're here for, just remember, I love you, man. I'm delighted today to be joined by Frank Kelleher. Aside from being a classmate of mine in the Masters in Applied Positive and Coaching Psychology program, Frank is also a devoted husband to Rose for 33 years. Together, they have raised a beautiful family of four kids, Niall, Lauren, Liv and Gav, And let's not forget about their fifth member, Charlie, the family dog. Frank's journey is as diverse as it is inspiring. With a background as a nurse for people with intellectual disabilities, he and Rose have been running their own business for an impressive 27 years. But that's not where his story ends. As a paediatric osteopath, Frank brings a unique perspective to the world of healthcare. His dedication to the well-being of others extends beyond the clinic as he holds a UEFA Pro license and boasts a rich 25-year coaching career from academy to senior men's and women's teams. Frank, welcome. It's great to have you here. Stephen, thanks very much. Delighted to be here. And Frank, your background is absolutely incredible. And I'm delighted to have you as my first guest on I Love You Man to discuss your life, positive psychology and masculinity. I'm really interested in finding a bit more about your journey. Can you share some of the defining moments that brought you to where you are today and how each experience has helped you shape your unique, your unique perspective on life? It's a very broad question you've asked me, really, uh, Stephen. I I think that um, my journey began in my early 20s when I was lucky enough to um, get a position as a student nurse in Cope Foundation, which is an organisation well known to people in Cork. And um, so I did my nurse training in Cope Foundation for three years, and it was a very very enlightening uh, situation, really, because it taught me an awful lot about... um, what it's like to be a nurse on a day-to-day basis and, and, and taught me an awful lot about the skills required, you know, t- to work with people in, from a human experience as well. And I really, I got a great education from that. And also, you know, working with people with intellectual disabilities, what was very obvious to me from the very beginning is it's the person is first. That's what you see. Um, and the skills that they have and the abilities that they have, I think was something that resonated with me very, very quickly, really. 
Um, so I really enjoyed my time working as, as a nurse for people with intellectual disabilities. And then I suppose, you know, when I was doing that for a number of years, I'd always had an ambition to own my own business. It was something that I suppose came when I was much younger, really, when I was in my teenage years. My father had taken definitely strides to open his own business, but as he said, he just never really made it happen. So he said, maybe someday you will. And that was kind of the guidance that he gave me. So I got very interested in osteopathy by circumstance, really. A friend of mine was treated by a very famous osteopath in the UK. And I was looking to go and go into a different career. And so he said to me, why don't you come and speak to this wonderful man called Ronald Johnson? And so I went and spent a week in his clinic watching what he did. Um, and I was hooked. Um, I just loved the whole concept of healthcare and the holistic approach. So myself and Rose, I'd married Rose at that point in time, and we moved to London, where I studied osteopathy for five years in the London School of Osteopathy. I did work as uh, a nurse for people with intellectual disability for a number of years while I was studying a lot of agency work, a lot of night duty, a lot of evening shifts to pay her way. Rose, my wife, is a midwife and was able to work in the local hospital. So we set up our home there and I studied osteopathy for five years and qualified um, in 19... 95 and we then we then stayed in London for another year we'd had Niall our eldest guy was born there um, and we we set up home there and once I'd finished my osteopathy degree then I went and worked as an intern or as an associate in a practice for a year which was very very beneficial and then we had Lauren our second daughter while we were there as well and we loved our time in London we made some great friends we set our life up there, but eventually it was a decision that we needed to make to come back to Cork, and that's what we did. And then we set up our practice, myself and Rose, um, who's been working with me every day since 1997. Um, and that's that's a very interesting experience, really, to, to have a home life with, with your wife, but also to for them to be your business partner and work with them on a day-to-day -day basis. So that was... That was very interesting, really. So we know where the lines are, let's just say that. He's <laughs> <laughs> very aware of uh, what each other's pluses and minuses. Oh, and completely, yeah. yeah. If you're living with somebody, you learn a lot about them. But if you're working with somebody, you learn more about them. There's no doubt about that. And we laugh and joke about that now, I think, because we've been doing it for such a long time. But that is a great experience as well to have. Um, and so we then had two other children, um, live in Gavin and um, they are now in adulthood essentially Niall is 31 and um, Gavin is 21 and the girls are 27 and 24 respectively so we've made our life living back in Cork and we've set up a practice um, and we've developed the practice over the years originally the practice was um, essentially everybody through every age group but I always had been interested in paediatrics and children and babies essentially I suppose because we've had four ourselves and we've raised them um, so the objective of that was to um, to specialise in peds and that's what we've done 
for the last 20 years, really. I think Rose being a midwife um, in the practice is a huge help to me. Um, the fact that I was a nurse originally and I worked a lot in peds in agency nursing in London, which I really liked as well in intellectual disability. So I guess that was where we where we realized we'd like to work and help families, you know, with it, with their with their with their babies and their children. So that's what we've done. Um, so that's sort of the career path in terms of work, really. Yeah, it, it, it's absolutely an incredible story. And you've seemed to have made a great success, success out of it. Um, but I know from talking to you from outside the mm. studio that um, what you've done in your sporting life as well, I don't even know how you got around to have, having time to do it, Frank. But yeah. tell us more, a bit more about that. I suppose footballer as they call it in the States. Soccer is my first love, really. I played when I was much younger at youth's level, and I, I, my club is Cork City Football Club. Um, love this club dearly, really. I was in the reserves for a number of years as well um, with great people like Jerry Harrison, Tony O'Sullivan, and those greats of, of, of that football club. Great men, really, hugely dedicated. Um, other people like... John F. Kennedy, a wonderful man who we lost a number of years ago, who was a huge help to building the fan base for people, just great people. So it has always been in my in my DNA, really, as a sport. And then when I, I guess when I retired from playing, um, I'd always been interested in the coaching aspect of it. So over a number of years, I started at the very beginning and did what's called, I suppose... It's called the Kickstart One. It's called something else now. And I've worked my way up over about, it took about 15 years really to go from the very first uh, FAI license to getting my UA for pro license. And that's something I'm very proud of, actually. It took a lot of dedication and a lot of hard work. Um, but it was well worth it because it gave me a really strong education in football as a as a as a sport but also as a professional sport and and um I had worked at academy level right up um all the way up to senior women's and then to senior men's and being part of the management team with the senior men's team at Cork City was a highlight for me really. Um and I think I learned an awful lot about people and I think I learned an awful lot about players and how they're influenced performance wise by things that um, you know, as you get longer in the dressing room scenario or at coaching sessions, you start to read people a little bit more. And so you get to know them on a personal basis. And I think when you have that sort of approach, I think it helps people with their performance as sports people. So that's something that I've run, I ran that career literally to about a year and a half ago where I've stepped away from it, probably because I'm now doing something else in the positive psychology master's which I think is very much integrated into all aspects of my life, really from a business point of view where I'm helping people on a daily basis, but also from a sports point of view, which is helping players around performance. You know, a common thing that's come up in everything you've said from your business to your sporting life is that theme of people and working with mm. people. And, you know, obviously as coaches, we're or aspiring coaches, we're hoping to work with people and use our positive psychology skills from your own background, how did you get? It, how did you come aware of positive psychology and and the impact it could possibly have on on people, including yourself? I think from reading, first of all. So for many years, I would be 
an advocate of reading in that area of motivational psychology really are very interested in the in the background of sports psychology and stuff like that so I would have re-read texts on that area um, plus some of the other things as well like you know people like Richard Bandler and the NLP type of our style of, of performance and people like Tony Robbins those guys I would have read their stuff um, I would have also read things like um, from Paulo Coelho and the books that he's he's done and people like Ruiz with the Four Agreements and Eckhart Tolle and Waking Up and those sorts of things. So I would have read quite a diverse... My wife says I never read a fiction novel like because I need to read something that has meaning. Mm. So I wouldn't be picking up a book with a story, really. Um, and yet, Rose, my wife, is a phenomenal reader, a fictional reader, has been reading as long as I know her, really, um, and likes to read about fiction, whereas I like the messages that come from these books. So that would have been where my interest came from, really. And I suppose that from reading, you learn to a certain degree and then you try to apply some of that knowledge that you've learned on a day-to-day -day basis, either in practice, working with families, and particularly in the sports psychology stuff around players and how to motivate them to improve their performance and um, how, to, how to talk to them in terms that isn't judgmental, really. Um, because I think sometimes we're very quick to judge performance and I think that sometimes there may be other factors contributing to that that we're just not aware of and that's the sort of stuff that I was interested in because I think if you can support people in other aspects of their life and they're, they're sport people and they play their sport I think that can influence their performance Yeah, and so that's where the background came from reading really about the subject yeah since you've started reading, what type of things have you applied? And I'm really, um, you know, love to delve a bit more into that sporting background. Mm. I definitely think that um, you create a culture within an organisation, first of all. And I think that you have to get everybody to support that culture. So I think in teams that I've worked with that have been successful, we've created a culture where people are respected for, for the, the job that they do and that also they take responsibility for their roles within that culture as well. And that would be something that, you know, you would look with, with, with groups where the group would decide what their standards are and that, that would, they would then, the leadership group would bring that to the management team and say, this is what our standards are and this is what's acceptable and this is, is what's not. And I think that's a great baseline to start with. Um, you also have to look at tradition as well in terms of what this club has done in the past and because that also leads to pressures with the current group as well and you have to be aware of that and sort of manage that with people as well. I also think having a good team with you is incredibly important because they have a huge influence on the the performance of the team Um and also on the people within within the team as well. So having really good people. I've worked with some great coaches, um, some great people as well who, you know, went over and above in terms of supporting the players and the squads that I've worked with. But I think you create a culture first, a culture of, I think, respect, acceptance, and also about performance. And you have to set standards. You have to know the players need to 
be involved in setting those standards. I think that's something that I've learned. I suppose on the face of them, you know, when we look at professional athletes, mm-hmm. we think, you know, they ha- they've, they've already figured it out. They're doing their mm-hmm. dream jobs. How can they not be, be, be performing at the, at the optimal level? But I suppose like in every aspect of life, if what's going on in their personal lives yeah. or if what's going on in the culture that they're working within, if that's not sorted out, then you're not going to get those high levels, levels of a performance. I would completely agree with that um, because things off the pitch can definitely affect your performance on the pitch. And I think it's important that you, you create a culture where those things are listened to and taken seriously, really, because I do think that that affects the person's ability to, to, to perform, you know, on match day. Um, and I do think that I would say men have this tough exterior. It's part of who we are, I guess, in terms of a culture, a sporting culture. Um, and I think it's important to accept that in certain environments, you, if you have things going on in your personal life, you may not be able to voice it as 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 well as you or you don't think you have that environment to do that and i think that's really important that you allow your your group to to come and talk to you individually if they need to do that that your door has to be open because i think if you can help them with those things that are impacting on their performance i think you know they feel valued as part of the group they also feel that the culture that they're now performing in is the right culture for them so their belief system will definitely improve and I think they feel that by valuing them and helping them that you you know you have their back really and I think that's an important thing in sport that you have each other's backs and that you support each other and I think if a management team does that and that may not be the manager that might be the assistant coach it might be the strength and conditioning coach it might be the physio it might be the kit man that you you have those people within your management team that listen to the players and that support them. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think it's interesting because, you know, from my own sporting background, and I'm sure from your own sporting background, it hasn't always felt like the dress mm. room has sort of been the best place yeah. for that culture to be cultivated. And I suppose when we look at the Irish rugby team at the moment and yeah. what Andy Farrell is doing with the culture of that team and the, that environment, where do you think this evolution has come from? Um, I think because we learn more as time goes on and we learn we learn what's worked in the past that we can carry with us. But I, I do think that the the psychological aspect of sport is being talked about more now in the last 10 years than ever before. I, I think we've learned more and I think we've learned to adapt and to manage people better than we did where we were just bawling them out all the time. Mm. Um, and for some people that works, but... They might be a certain number within your squad for other people you have to and I'm sick of the cliche but we say it a lot put an arm around them and chat to them and encourage them but I do think this is important stuff I think you're dealing with a group of individuals within your squad and I think that they their needs are, can be very different for a number of reasons and I do think that we've learned over time that the teams that are you know successful or the most progressive I think are the teams where they've created a culture of acceptance and they've created a culture like it was interesting. I was watching one of the 
I think it was only a snippet of one of the um, the Netflix episodes in Six, Nation, Six Nations where one of the Irish players was to talk about his mental health issues. Mm. I think that's outstanding that he is within an organisation that has helped him hopefully with that and he's been able to express it in a public environment. I think that's really powerful stuff. Yeah, I think uh, that was Andrew Porter, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and I, I, it's amazing to hear players that have been involved in that environment and how much it means to them. I was even listening to Calvin Nash who made his debut against yeah. France and he was asked how he felt in the lead up to the game. Was he nervous? And he goes, yeah, I was really nervous. I was really nervous. But uh, Andy Farrell kind of noticed it in me and came to speak mm. to me and he laid out in, in a way of saying, well, um, what, what do you have to do? What's your job? And he laid out exactly, he goes, well, you know exactly what you have to do. So, just go and do it. But even being open and per perceptive enough to approach a player in that way. And I'm sure Andy Farrell, like, I can imagine, you know, growing up in a rugby league environment in yeah. the north of England, that kind of stuff just didn't happen. <laughs> and the fact that he's been able to sort of evolve himself as a personality and maybe he had it, always had it and he was ahead of his time, but um, and apply it to a really successful team is just incredible. Yeah, I would agree. I think he's done... I think you're absolutely right. He's learned over the years how to apply and different things that uh, that, if you like, create a culture of excellence within a squad. And some of that is about telling people what their roles are, but supporting them through it as well and having that quiet word with them and taking the time to listen to their concerns. I think that's that's powerful stuff. Yeah, powerful. Now, Frank, this is obviously a positive psychology mm. po podcast aimed at men. Um, and you, I know it's you know that it's something I'm very passionate about. Yeah. But you've obviously worked with an incredible amount of lads as a coach. I'm sure you've encountered some of them as a within your clinic, um, even just in your day to day life. So what do you think is affecting men's well being at the moment, and what are some of the challenges that they face? It's a really good question, and I I think that um, I think. Looking at my own sons, like I have two daughters and two sons, I, I think, you know, they live in a very different world than we did. Like I'm, I'm in my 50s, so they lived in a different world where everything is, is, is available in terms of social media has definitely created an environment where I do think it has huge positives, but I also think that it affects people negatively as well. And I, th I do think that we maybe were we're idealistic in terms of what what men should be, I guess. And I, I think I live in a household with three great women as well um, who are very, they're very strong women. And I think that men, I suppose, need to look at, look at themselves, I guess. And, and I, I, I think um, we're all, we're all different. But I do think that there are, there's a couple of, very basic things that I suppose I've tried to teach the kids, which is to have respect for each other and, you know, have integrity, um, you know, make a contribution in whatever way you want to do that on a day to day basis. Those are important values, I suppose, that I would have. Um, and I can only talk for myself being a man like I definitely have learned an awful lot about my relationships with my, my wife and my family and my kids over the years. And there have been times where I haven't showed up. I mm -hmm. can say that honestly. And there have been other times 
where I thought about showing up, but I didn't show up. And now there are times as I get older and gain more experience where I sh- where I, I show up an awful lot more. And I think that's an evolution. And I suppose with men, in terms of relationships with with men and also with, with, with women, I think those are the sorts of things that I kind of are important to me, I guess. But I do think that we all we we have this idealistic thinking of what a man and, and a woman should be like and I, I i do think that social media drives that a little bit too hard as well you know and i think it influences people um maybe in a negative way yeah i think um you know to hear you talk about your wife and your kids mm. and talk so positively mm. i almost think for a long time men being able to talk positively about their partners was seen as a weakness mm. And something that they were almost society discouraged them to do. So to hear you do that is so refreshing, particularly, you know, given the amount of time that you've spent your wife at a very close professional yeah, level yeah. as well as a personal yeah. level. Um, why is that so important to you? Um, because they're the person who I think you you've made a choice to be with, first of all. And I think that. um you know, when you get to 33 years down the line, you you understand how that relationship develops over the years and you will have times where it's where it's where it's not so good. And I think that's 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 honesty. And I think being honest about that is important. But there's a lot of wins if you kind of work at it on a, on a daily basis. I think, you know, Rose said to me recently, it's about obviously being a husband, but also being a father. So you have those responsibilities as well. And I think equally, there are times when you're a better father than you're a husband and vice versa. Mm. That happens in life. Circumstances, um, sometimes you, you know, you can put yourself first a little bit too much at times and you have to learn how to manage that as well. Um, and I think that's where the relationship really blossoms is where you're, you, you work with the other person um, on a daily basis and you you show up essentially I've always said that you've got to show up day to day um, even though you mightn't feel the best yourself it's you got to do it like I think it's important you do that stuff and I think that the relationship blossoms when you do that and even doing simple things um, I'm better at it now than I was a number of years ago where I, I'm, I don't have to be asked to do things you know that I'll, I'll go and do them Um in that relationship and I think that's important as well you are evolving and you are learning I just think being open to the idea that you can evolve and you can oh, change yeah, you can, definitely. not everything has to be figured out right this very minute and you don't have to be the perfect version of yourself right now absolutely and you have and you have enough awareness but if you have enough awareness to do that then obviously you know you can make positive change you can and I think you have to work at it I, th- I think that um, you know you can make too many assumptions about how good your relationship is going as well. I think that's dangerous. Mm. Um, you have to show up and you have to work at it. That would be my view because that's how that's what makes it better. And because we can assume things, oh, everything is actually good. But unless you sit down and have a conversation with the person and talk to them about, you know, how things are going and do you feel valued and those sorts of things, that might be a very simple conversation. But I think that's important. It's the same with your kids. I think, you know, we have a, a thing that we look at in our family, which is just about respect. Um, it's just about respecting who we are as a family, but also respecting our individuality within that family, because 
like with your kids you're trying to help them and support them um, but you got to leave them live as well <laughs> you know you can't be you can't be saying look don't do this or don't they've got to live their lives as well I think if you if you support them you know the best you can I think that's for me there that's that's your success really by supporting them that that would be my view and the same with your relationship I think if you if you support each other you can get through the you can get through quite a quite a lot of tough times you do have to be resilient there will be times where it gets it gets tough um but I think you have to you have to keep going I think relationships are they evolve but you also have to work at it yeah super refreshingly honest thanks Frank so Frank obviously you talked about turning up um, and showing up every day mm -hmm. and obviously we want to show up as the best versions of ourselves and I'd love to know you know you're a very busy man you've got mm -hmm. your healthcare business you've got your uh, you're a full-time student you've obviously got your love of sport mm -hmm. how do you find time to look after yourself and what kind of things do you do to maintain your own well-being I do a few bits and pieces really um I like I love music. My love of music has always been huge. Um, my first job, way back when I was in my teenage years, was working in a wonderful company called Golden Discs. <laughs> we sold vinyl back then, um, so I've always had a love of music. So I use music an awful lot as a, a relaxation mode. I'll always have it on in the car, or I'd put certain things on, um, if I'm at home, or you know, if we're doing stuff. Um, I'll have music on so that's sort of a thing that I like listening to a lot to the extent that I've challenged myself to play the piano my daughter plays the piano very well and she's my tutor um, so she's teaching me and so I've started to do that I'm not great now at consistency but I am making an effort with it so but music is something that's hugely important to me um, the other thing that I've started to practice a lot more um, I've been doing it for a while is mindfulness um, Sam Harris, he's got an app called Waking Up. It's very, very good. And um, I've been practicing that on and off for about a year, really. And at the beginning, I was kind of thinking, well, is there anything in this stuff? Like, of course, you'd be questioning it. But I do find it very, very good um, just to keep that moment in time where you just focus on your breathing. And it's like anything else, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I think it's that ability to just leave the clouds across the blue sky and look for the blue sky, really. And the clouds pass the because the clouds are the things you're thinking about. That's my analogy for it. And then the blue sky always comes again. And I think that's something where you look at your own mind body connection, really. And I think mindfulness is a good way of doing that. And you can practice it anywhere as well, which I find very interesting because at the beginning it was kind of, well, you need to find a quiet space now and you need to have the app on. That's fine. But you can do it in the car driving along as well. Mm. It's not going to be the perfect environment, but at least you can still focus on your breath when you're doing that stuff. Or if you're, go if you're going out for a walk, again, you can put your he headphones on and you can practice it. So you can do mindfulness on the move. Right. And I think that's good, too, because that makes it more relevant to what you do during the day or even in work. If I'm on a break, you know, between patients um, or clients or even on my lunch break, I might do 10 minutes, right? I might do five minutes. I might catch a few moments where I'll just focus on my breath for a little bit and then 
I'm ready to go again. It kind of gives you that that peacefulness, really. So I've practiced that for over a year, maybe even longer, I suppose. That's fantastic. And I, th- I love that idea that it doesn't have to be the perfect version of no. itself every single time. And I think sometimes when we try to incorporate new habits into our lifestyles, we think it has to be the perfect version of it. So I have to work out for an hour every day or I have to do uh, meditation for half an hour every day yeah. where... No, if you can just incorporate smaller bits, it's, it's going to become more habitual and it's going to become yeah. more sustained. Yeah, I would agree. I think, as I call it, mindfulness on the move, really. Um, it is something that you can, if you practice it for moments during your day, I definitely think it helps you. It helps you focus and it helps you. It helps you center yourself. And I think in the work that I do where I'm in conversation a lot with people most days, I like those moments where I can just work on the breath and that might be, as I said, between patients or maybe on my lunch break or even going to work in the morning. I very often will put something on going to work in the morning um, that um, I can just work on the breath almost to prepare myself for my day. Um, And it's not at home in a quiet room with no distractions. I think it's like anything else, the more you do it, the more it becomes normal. Brilliant, Frank. Yeah. Now, the, the evolution that you've been on is, has been incredible, but obviously, you know, we're working towards completing our master's program. Yeah. Just another thing to yeah, do. Yeah, just another thing. And I'd love to know what's next for you now and what kind of things are you looking forward to incorporating in terms um, of your positive psychology? I think the positive psychology course, I've really enjoyed it because what it has done is the stuff that I read previously it's provided sort of the evidence that I was looking for that this stuff works. Um, and I think looking at the evidence so far in the course, we just have a great group of tutors as well. I think individually they're very different and they're very unique, but collectively they're trying to give you a really good message, really. I think the evidence-based stuff has really helped me to um, look at different interventions that I think you could use in any walk of life, really, in terms of helping your own family and in terms of helping people that you, you know, if if parents come in with, with their children that, you know, they're struggling a little bit with the whole idea of being a parent and stuff like that, that you could use those sort of things and ask them, would you ever think of, you know, doing a little bit of journaling and writing down your thoughts or you know, keeping a gratitude journal for a break. I've done this stuff, you see, so in, in semester one, and I found it very, very useful that you may be able to give them, you know, a little bit of help around things that might help might help them. Um, the same in sport. I think you could go right across with performance and you could look at getting them to um, to look at how they actually think about their day and how they set their day up and by writing and journaling that's that's I found that very very helpful, and being grateful for the things that you have already. I think we keep going down this road, but I think it's nice to look back and say I'm very grateful for this. I'm very happy for that. Or that's important stuff, and I think that's what the course has done. Um, is it's given you different things that you can use that I think can make make things make things better for you really. Yeah, and I love the sort of enriching conversations that we've been able to have around mm-hmm. this subject because I'm really what I'm trying to do is build a picture of what well-being is like for men yeah. in Ireland and how we can continue to promote it. And I ask you the question, what can men do to support the important person or people in their lives? And you've touched quite a bit on that already today, but 
Is there anything else that you'd like to add to it? I think I've covered quite a bit of it. I, <coughs> I think the important person or people in your life, um, I think you have to show up. Yeah, that would be my, my underlying thing. You have to show up each day and do do the best you can. Really, I think that's your starting point, um, is to do that. And I think sometimes, when you start to do that, things will change around that whole relationship as well. And there'll be times where you might show up 20%, but there might also be times where you show up 100%. But at least if you're making the effort, I think making the effort with relationships is, is a huge thing. I also think respect is very important in a relationship, respecting the other person's identity um, and respecting their, you know, respecting them for who they are. We're always not going to get on with people like that's just human nature. But I do think that if you have a respect for somebody I think that's really important. They be they would be the th they would be the two big things for me really. Um, is that what Chris Peterson always says? Is um, one of the founding members of positive psychology. Other people matter. Mm. Uh, we can put that close to our hearts. We can really go far. One thing that you said to me um, outside the studio is that you spend time with your kids. They are your best success. Yeah. I absolutely love that quote. Yeah, and that's not for me, actually. <laughs> I read about that a number of years ago. I think it was this billionaire was interviewed about what does success mean for you? I'll probably get you his name, but he said, my greatest success are my kids and how they live their lives. Um, and th the fact that we still, as he said, we still have family time and we still sit around the table and we talk to each other. And, you know, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. Um, but at least you have the opportunity to communicate. And I think, you know, that's something that myself and Rose, my wife, have been very much focused on with our kids is keep keep the lines of communication open. Now, there's there's a funny thing in our house where <coughs> some of the kids would say, I'll definitely tell mum that, but I'm not going to tell dad that. <laughs> that's OK, too. That's definitely OK. <laughs> you know, that's definitely OK. And we laugh about that. Well, it's all sorted now. We didn't need to tell you about it. You know, and that's just reading the room, isn't it? And yeah. reading the relationships you have with your kids. Um, and the same with your wife, really, that some stuff is for both of you and some is for individually, that they come and talk to me about stuff and not Rose and vice versa. But I think if you can keep the lines of communication open, I think that's that's huge. And again, like building the culture in the dressing room, you feel that culture in your in your home as well. I, I, it is. I think you just have to keep, again, work at it all the time. Keep working at it, yeah. yeah. Well, Frank, um, thanks very much. I Pleasure. knew you'd knock it out of the park. <laughs> well, look, it's your first one, so we're going to do good. Yeah, well, first <laughs> of many, hopefully. Thanks very yeah, much. Best um, of luck with it, Stephen. That was Frank Kelleher, absolutely wonderful guest. Delighted to hear from him and him talk so positively about his family, his life and uh, the people that are around him. Now, on to my five-minute flourishing. Before we move on, I want to make listeners aware that the next segment discusses themes of depression and suicide. If you are affected by any of the topics raised, please reach out to a trained professional. The phone numbers of support organisations, including Peterhouse and the Samaritans, will be available in the podcast description. No challenge should be faced alone, so please remember that help is always available. Now, over every episode, I'm going to end the podcast with a five-minute flourishing where I share with you a story or a piece of research that I hope 
will help you stop and think differently about your own well-being. Just last month, I was on the train to Dublin, and I need to be honest and say I absolutely hate taking trains. I don't know what it is. It's a very much a first world problem, but I find them a long and cumbersome journey. Now, for most of my trip, I, trip, I sat opposite two females, each of us a stranger to the next. We sat in silence, sleeping, looking outside the window, or in my case, staring at my laptop. Along our journey, a gentleman joined the free seat beside me. He was disheveled and for some reason was carrying a litter picker. Stains adorned his clothes and I'm sure I could see the remnants of that morning's breakfast on his face. As soon as the train moved, the man started engaging the group in conversation. Not much of what he was trying to say made any sense, but the rest of us began talking. We started sharing stories, thoughts and future plans. Every so often the man would interject, not much of what he said was making any sense. It felt like the ramblings of a madman. The two women, they got off the train at an earlier stop, and so I was left side by side with my new travel companion. As time went on, I began to notice a smell, and all I could think about was when was this journey going to end, and when was this man going to move to the free seats opposite me to, the, to at least provide me with some temporary relief. He kept talking, and I kept nodding, pretending to complete my non-existent work on the laptop. The journey wasn't going to end, end anytime soon, so I closed my laptop and accepted defeat. And I turned to him and I said, so, I heard you mention you had a son in Australia. Do you have any more kids? He says, well, I have five in total. Well, I did have five. I now have four. Unfortunately, my son died 19 years ago. He took his own life. For the next 45 minutes, we talked about his son. I learned that he was a gifted academic and attended the same university that I did at the same time I was there. While I was fluking my way through an arts degree, this guy was reaching for the stars in his field. I subsequently spoke to a friend who was a year ahead of, on the same course, and people knew this boy. They knew about his genius. I learned that he was a great son and that before he died, he had gone traveling for the summer. On his return, his relationship ended, and three weeks later, his dad found him. I learned that he had left a note telling his family that he was sorry and that it wasn't their fault. I learned that he loved them. This man sitting beside me was no longer the disheveled annoyance. He wore his grief and he wore it hard. He thanked me for taking the time to hear his story and said that when he talks about it, it brings him a small sense of relief. We shook hands and said goodbye. I told him that I felt the love that he had for his son and that I'm sure his son had for him. After we went our separate ways, I sat down on a bench in Dublin city centre and tears filled my eyes. His story hit me hard. I've thought about that man and his son every day since, and I hope that someone else has taken time to hear his story. Not only that, but I often think about how little it takes for someone else's story to be your own. In the last couple of years, I have, I ha I have had my own dark passenger pay a visit and understand how bad it feels when it doesn't want to go away. Thankfully, I never reached a stage where it felt too much, but I know that the line is so fine and more people than you imagine flirt dangerously close to it. In her groundbreaking work, Marley Adams introduces us to the choice map, which illustrates the mindsets of the learner and the judger. As humans, we tend to take the judger path as it is our default position. This is because we are naturally wired to think this way and our past experiences have conditioned us to do so. The learner path, on the other hand, is marked by questions focused on understanding others and the situations. No prizes for guessing that I was on the judger path that day. Take a minute to consider the number of people you encounter on a 
daily basis who you know nothing about. I'm not talking about the those that you consider important. I'm talking about the quote-unquote insignificant strangers that you take notice of only to forget as soon as they pass. The man in the shop, the homeless individual walking down the street, the cyclist who zooms in front of you as you drive, the woman who cleans your gym, the lovely sounding girl who takes your restaurant reservation. Some might bring you a momentary droplet of joy, others a nagging annoyance. Now take a minute to consider if you judge some of them, if not all of them. But according to Marley Adams, developing a capacity and willingness to notice a judging thought and switch to a learner one can be crucial to our well-being. And this isn't confined to judge your thoughts of others. Think of the thoughts you make of yourself in any situation on any given day. You might have lost that girl, failed in that job promotion, wanted to pursue a dream, fallen out with a family member. As men, we judge ourselves every day and often dismiss ourselves as a result. This can lead to tragic outcomes. And unsatisfied with our lives, we often revert to default and act out in ways that portray the authentic versions of ourselves that we want to be. Because of this, our aspirations, relationships and versions of our best selves can suffer. My flourishing thought to leave you with today is to encourage you to ask questions about the facts, assumptions and goals you face on a daily basis. This is not to say you will never judge again, but if you are self-aware enough to notice it, you can be self-aware enough to shift lanes and work towards bringing about positivity as a result. And finally, to that man I met on the train that day, I hope you're well. I'm sorry for judging, but thankful for the perspective you gave me. Your story will never be forgotten. Thank you for joining me today, and I'm hoping that this will be the first of many podcasts promoting male well-being. If you have listened and feel you have something to offer, please reach out. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me at the flourishing underscore man on Instagram. And until next time, remember, I love you, man.